0: Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 19 and read verses 13 through 29. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 29. You You can find that on your pew Bibles on page 1528, 1528. Matthew 19, verses... 13 through 29. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a young man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get in Get eternal life. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it find that they too have inherited eternal life. If you were to die today, and you stood before God, and he asked you the question, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer him? This is a question that I like to ask folks before I present the gospel to them. And the reason I ask it is because how they answer will often let me know what exactly they are putting their trust in. Are they relying on their own good works or are they looking to something else, to someone else? How would you answer this question? Before we jump into our text, let's let's first remind ourselves of where we've been. When we last left, left off, we saw Jesus entering into the region of Judea. And the reason he did this was because of his mission. And his mission was this, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and that on the third day be raised to life. And as he entered into Judea, the first thing that Matthew recorded for us was this encounter with the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember from two weeks ago. They they had confronted Jesus, asking him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? These religious leaders were hoping to trap Jesus by by getting him to side with either the school of Hillel or the the school of Shammai. Did he hold to a lenient view concerning marriage or did he hold to a strict view? Not willing to be labeled with either school, Jesus took them back to the book of Genesis and, and to the origin of marriage. And he underscored the point that that marriage comes from God Himself. He is the one who who joins together a husband and a wife. And what God has united, man must not separate. You see, marriage isn't first and foremost about the individual. Rather, it is about God and His glory. And And so to enter into such a covenant, one is to die to themselves. For the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of that other person. And that was the fault of these Pharisees. For, for they had taken what was supposed to be a giving of oneself and turned it into a selfish endeavor. But it wasn't just the opposition that, that Jesus had run into in Judea. For, for today, we are going to look at, at two encounters with those who were seeking Jesus' help. The little children and a rich young man. And what is interesting about these two interactions is that, is that they play off of one another. They, they are giving us a, a picture of how God rescues his people. You see, by putting these two stories back to back, what Matthew is communicating to us is that eternal life cannot be achieved by human effort, but only through the working of God. With that being said, let's, let's look at our first encounter. Let's look at the story of the, of the little children, starting off in verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Sometimes we become so familiar with a a story that we get this picture in our mind of how we think it should be or how we think it happened. And as a result, we can end up missing some of the finer details. The way I have often imagined this in my mind kind of goes like this. There were a bunch of kids, probably running, laughing, playing, and they, they, they tried to run up to Jesus, and here are these mean disciples, and they're trying to block the path of these kids. Can you relate? Yet when we look at the text, what, what we will discover is that, is that that picture is not exactly what happened. For a, for a fuller understanding, we must first know a little bit about the, the culture of the day and the, and the definition of a, of a Greek word. Now, it was customary during that time for parents to, to bring their babies to a rabbi in order that they might receive a, a blessing by the laying on of hands. And this is exactly what we see in this picture. What the NIV translates for us as little children is the Greek word paideia. And and it means infants, or perhaps toddlers at best. These were were children who were still nursing at the breast. And so they they weren't running to Jesus, or even coming to him in their own volition. They, They couldn't. Rather, they were brought to him, By their parents. And this is why we see the wording that we do in verse 13. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. They were stopping the parents who were holding these babies. Now why would this be the case? Why would the disciples do this? Did they not see the value in, in these children? Perhaps not. While, while babies were deeply cherished in Jewish society, they, they also held the, the, the lowest rung on the social ladder. And in many ways, they were thought to be insignificant members of society. You see, they had nothing of value to add to their community. Rather, they, they, they siphoned away both the time and the resources of their parents. I mean, anyone who's had an infant knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean babies, come on, they're they're dependent upon everything. They need their parents for for to be fed, to be protected, to be clothed, to be cared for. They're helpless. They're vulnerable. And yet we love them all the same, do we not? Now what is interesting is that is that if you remember, Jesus had just taught his disciples about what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. That they must become like little children. Like these paideia. How quickly they forget. For here we see them rebuking those who who brought these little ones to Jesus. Well, Christ has a rebuke of his own. Look Look at verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he had placed his hands on them. He went on from there. Let them come. Do not hinder them. Listen, Christ doesn't turn away any who will come to him with a childlike faith. Even if the world doesn't find them valuable, he will welcome them in with open arms. He will lay his hands upon them and pour out his blessing. Maybe you are here today and you feel like society has no place for you. And so you feel overlooked, you feel rejected. Perhaps you even think that way about yourself that you add no value to your community. If this is you, let me tell you that, that, that Jesus is offering you his welcome. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. For if you come to him with this childlike faith, he won't let anything or anyone hinder you. But what does it mean to have a childlike faith? Sometimes the the best way to learn something is by looking at the opposite. And it is in our next story where we see what a childlike faith is not. Look at verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Here we see another figure approaching Jesus. And he has come seeking eternal life. What a great, great thing to seek. But look at how he frames his question. First, he, he addresses Jesus as teacher. He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him Teacher. Now, if you've been paying attention as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, one thing that you will notice is that every time Jesus is addressed as teacher, it is by a person who lacks faith, most often by the religious leaders. And Matthew has, has done this on purpose, for it is an indication that, that while the person has a great respect for Jesus' wisdom, he does not see Jesus as his king. He is unwilling to bend the knee. The second thing we must notice about this man's question is that, is that he also takes on this assumption that eternal life has to be earned. What does he ask? What what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man is, is coming to Jesus with a works based mentality. Let's let's see how this plays out as we listen to Jesus' response. Look at verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Because this man does not have a complete view of who Jesus is, Jesus will not allow him to think that any teacher would have the answer to what is good. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And this is why he he then points this man back to God's word, to the 10 commandments. Look look at verse 18. Which one's the man inquired? Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. We read these earlier in the Ten Commandments, did we not? When it comes to the Ten Commandments, theologians often refer to them as as the two tables. There there is the, the first table which focuses on loving God, And then there is a second table, which commands us to love our neighbors. And in our passage for today, Jesus, he he lays out the second table for this man. Basically, he is telling him that that if you're looking to be good, then you must act in love towards your fellow man. But notice what Jesus was not saying. He has left off the whole of the first table of the law. There is nothing about this man's love for God. Now, why do you think this is? What is Jesus doing here? Like a, a skilled surgeon, Jesus is he's probing this man. He's, he's cutting with precision until he gets to the source of the problem. Just just look at what happens next. Look at verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? All these I have kept? This man seems pretty confident in his own abilities, does he not? And he said he, he has been faithful to these commands. And perhaps that was the case. And yet, even though he thinks this way, he knew that he was still lacking in some way. He knew that if he stood before the throne of God and he was asked that question, why should I let you into my kingdom, he wouldn't have an answer. Bottom line is this, this man lacked assurance. And that's why he continued to press the point. He he was looking for something more, something that he could do, something that would make him feel secure. Perhaps in the back of your mind you have this nagging feeling that you just don't measure up, that you are lacking in some way, that there is something more that you could be doing, that you should be doing. That's how this young man felt. He, he wanted something that he could do, something tangible, something that he could accomplish, something that would give him peace. Well, Jesus was about to give him that thing. Look, look at verses 21 and 22. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus knew exactly what this man was lacking. He had great wealth, and it had become an idol in his life. His heart was divided as his money was competing with God and God was losing. And what is more, his his refusal to let go of his riches demonstrated that all of his good deeds, all the laws that he had claimed to have kept were worthless because none of it entailed the sort of self-surrender that God is looking for. His love for his wealth trumped both his love for God And his love for man. Dear friends, when Jesus turns up the heat of the law, it exposes who we truly are. And what the flames revealed concerning this young man was that he was lacking more than he thought. He had a divided heart that couldn't let go of his idols. But let's be honest. Would you or I do any better? Would you be able to give it all up for the kingdom? And I don't just mean your wealth. What is it that you are putting before God? What would Jesus ask you to do? What would he want you to give up? Perhaps it is your money. If Jesus asked you, would you do it? Could you do it? What if he asked you to give up your family? Could you do that? How about your career or your home? What if he asked you to move away? What about your health? Would you put your physical well-being at risk for your Savior? You see, each and every one of us has something that we're clinging on to. That that one thing that we don't want to let go of. We have those idols that divide our hearts. What is that first love that is keeping you from God? You see, the, the, the problem that this young man had was not that he wanted to gain eternal life. No. His problem was that he did not desire God. For he was not willing to, to lose his life in order to gain an eternity with Jesus. He could not take up his cross and follow him. And that, my friends, was the reason why he went away sad. Well, never being one to waste a teachable moment, Jesus used this encounter to speak to his disciples. Look at verses 23 through 25 again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Why did Jesus say this? What does he mean that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? What Jesus is not saying here is that the wealthy cannot be saved. For if that were true, then then men like Abraham, men like Job and David, would be burning in hell. And nor is he saying that the poor are, are guaranteed a spot in the kingdom. For if that were true, then Then the lazy and and the wicked could plead innocence before God without true repentant faith. But wealth can become an impediment towards God. For the rich, they do not know what it is like to be in great wants. And thus they have a difficult time looking for a Savior. They have become so self-dependent that they don't think that they need any help. Of course, the disciples were shocked by the saying, asking, Who then can be saved? You see, for the Jews, this, this rich young man, he was the epitome of God's blessing. They expected the rich to inherit eternal life. And not because the rich could purchase their way in, no. But because a man's wealth was supposed to be a testimony of God's blessing that was already upon him. If God had poured out his favor in this life, then how much more in the next? And yet Christ, he doesn't see it that way. In fact, it's just the opposite. For if the rich man doesn't doesn't realize that the favor that is upon him comes from God, that his wealth is a gift, then, then he will be without gratitude and unable to see his desperate desperate need. The apostle James had this same sentiment in the in what we read earlier today. Look at James chapter 2 verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? The poor are rich in faith. They will be the ones to inherit the kingdom. And why? Because they are uniquely positioned to be reliant upon God. They know what it's like to be humbled. They understand great need. Listen, we live in in a nation that is wealthy beyond measure. When, When you compare our standard of living to those of the past... We are living like kings and queens. Even the poor among us would be considered rich in comparison. I mean, we have running water. We have indoor plumbing. We, 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 we carry advanced technology in our pockets, right? If we want to go someplace, we, we get there quickly. I mean, even those who are barely making it today, they have it all. But with such wealth, have we, have we also become poor in faith? And we don't know what it is to be in wants. And thus we've learned to rely upon our own riches and what we have achieved for ourselves. Perhaps like this rich young man, we too think that we, we are somehow entitled to eternal life. That because we have lived the good life, that it will just carry over to the next. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, it is the opposite. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And if this is true about us, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Look at Jesus' answer. Look at verse 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This gets to the heart of it, does it not? And what was the difference between this rich young man and the little children? The the one came to to Jesus with much to offer. The others had nothing. I mean, here was this man, he he had everything going for him. And he was looking to, to earn his way in. He came to Jesus with a lifetime of good works. And yet he knew that he was still lacking. And so he wanted to do something more. But the more that was given to him was was too much. He couldn't achieve salvation in his own strength. And so he went away sad. But then there were these little children. Infants who were brought to Jesus with, with nothing to offer. No good deeds to, to hang their hats on, but only a humble trust that Jesus would bless them. And what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And that is a curious saying about the kingdom of God. For if you come to Jesus offering up your own good deeds, you will always fall short and end up going away sad. But if you go to him with nothing to offer except a humble heart, a heart that is simply looking for him to bless you, then he will welcome you in with, with gracious arms. And the reason that is the case Is because the only only good deeds that matter are his. Only Christ is good enough. You see, the standard isn't here. It's, It's way up there. It's perfection. What did James tell us? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Dear friends, Jesus is the only one who lived a sinless life. And as good as you may be, if you have stumbled just once, you stand condemned. And yet, out of of Christ's kindness, out of his mercy, he he bore your sins as he went to the cross. He paid the the penalty that you deserve so that, that, that you might come to him humbly and in faith. Looking for him to bless you. This was a a tough concept for Jesus' disciples to grasp. And Peter, when he was trying to understand this, he, he asked Jesus this question. Look at verse 27. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter, see, he was still stuck in in a works-based mentality, just like that young man. He saw saw that young man, he saw that he was unwilling to give up his wealth for the kingdom. And yet here was he and all these other disciples, and they had left everything behind. Remember, he he gave up his career, he gave up his family. He, He had true sacrifice for Jesus. So what would be in it for them? What would be his reward? Look Look how Jesus answers him. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. In the end, a a humble heart will leave everything behind and follow Jesus. And though your good deeds do not achieve for you eternal life, for that must be inherited, they are not forgotten nor do they go unrewarded. Whatever you sacrifice for the kingdom will be returned to you 100-fold, whether it be homes or family or fields. But know this, when you are standing before that throne and when you are asked, why should I let you into my kingdom? None of your sacrifices, none of your good deeds will gain you entrance in. Only a childlike faith in Jesus will do. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're powerful. Doesn't matter if you're lowly. Jesus Christ is your only hope. For he is the only one who lived that sinless life. And he is the only one who made that ultimate sacrifice. Who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we have nothing to offer to you. Our good deeds are like filthy rags. We come to you as, as infants, helpless, and in great need. Instead, we look to your Son, who died for our sins. And we look to your Holy Spirit, who, who changes us from within, so that even the, the sacrifices that we do make, we can't take credit for. In our own strength, We are lost, but you make salvation possible, and we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.